Can you guys hear me? Sorry, hold on. 32 super fans. I, I couldn't understand a word that was said. Every angle of the NFL covered. You fired up for that, man? Huh? This. We on go time. We, we still on go. Hold on, hold on. The name of the hurricane is Hurricane. This is Next Fan Up. We're live, bro. And welcome to Championship Weekend. This is Next Fan Up, the sportscast for fans, by fans. I am joined today with two great fans. Uh, this is James, your Eagles fan. And uh, look, if Conference Championship Sunday is anything like the divisional round games, we are in for a treat because my heart is still racing. First and foremost, I want to introduce one of the representatives who's basically the only team left of everyone on this podcast, Smug Nick for the Kansas City Chiefs. Nick, how are you doing? Doing all right. I've recovered from my multiple cardiac incidents uh, from last weekend and uh, and feeling healthy. But I'm also just sort of adopting the NFL testing philosophy where as long as I don't see a cardiologist, my heart must be totally healthy. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Yeah, and, and 13 seconds is definitely enough time to get something done, apparently. Apparently. Don't tell my boss that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and with us back after a week off, I have MJ here, our Falcons fan. MJ, how are you, sir? I'm actually pretty good and hoping we get some great football this weekend. All right. Well, let's jump right into news and notes here briefly. Um, first, there were some coaching and GM hires and I'll, well, let's rephrase. There were some GM hires and some coaching, um, some coaching hires that have yet to be completely finalized, but are pretty much inevitably going to happen. So let's start with some of the GM stuff. The Chicago bears hired Ryan Poles as their new GM. The New York giants hired Joe Schoen as their new GM. And the Vikings hired Kwesi Adolfo Mensa as their new GM. So, so far, we've got three new GMs, two of which are minority hires. And the Bears quickly got to work after hiring their GM by hiring Colts defensive coordinator Matt Eberfloss as their new head coach. The Denver Broncos then hired Nathaniel Hackett as their new coach, former uh, Packers offensive coordinator. Um, we also had uh, Ben McAdoo, former Giants OC and head coach, being hired as the Panthers' new offensive coordinator. So with all that happening this week, and again, the head coaching hires of Eberflus and Hackett are not yet finalized, but deals are being finalized for them. There have not been any introductory press conferences as of yet for those two gentlemen. Um, Nick, what strikes you most about the hiring cycle thus far? Well, I wish I had more insight to give on uh, Brian Pohl, but, you know, the, the, the Chiefs front office, um, it seems like they do things in a very collaborative way. And, and I mean, the only thing that's, you know, very clear that, you know, Veach is like the, the real driver behind or like the trades. But outside of that, from everyone, everything that I've seen is that, it's very much like a team effort. So I don't know exactly what, you know, what you can give 
pull credit for in terms of the Chiefs t- team building, um, what his like big successes or what he was banging on the table for in KC. Um, I do find it a little interesting that Chicago is going with a defensive coordinator um, as their uh, head coach move. I mean, I, I get like you know, teams tend to just swing back and forth between, oh, well, if we hired an offensive coach last time, we need to do a defensive coach the next time. Um, and Matt Nagy was, a you know, a, an offensive coach. Um, but it, it still just seems like, you know, task number one in Chicago is, you know, figuring out what you got in Justin Fields. And if he is, you know, can, can be coached up to being um, to, to living up to his potential, like that is job number one. So I'll, I'll be interested to see what they do in terms of their their offensive staff on that that end. But um, but it's surprising to me that that their first moves were not aimed in that direction, I guess. All right, MJ, your thoughts on any of these hires? The ones that um, kind of give me uh, – we'll, we'll start with Chicago, uh, with um, Ryan Poles. Again, I'm kind of wondering just as well, you know, if they're going to be able to get any talent around field so that he won't look as – I mean, he really kind of looked like a fish out of water a few point at a few times this this, this past season. Was and his rookie year? Exactly, exactly. Um, but also, when I look at you know, and, I, and 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 truth be told, I don't follow the Bears probably as much as a lot of the actual Bears fans do. But I couldn't tell you much about that Bears offense. I can't give you very many names. So it just has me wondering, you know, do they need to get some better talent on that Bears offense? Um, the other that has me interested is, and I hope I don't butcher his name, Kwaise Adolfo Mensa. Kwaise, yes. Thank you, Kwaise. That hire definitely has me interested um, because for him to go to Minnesota, who the Vikings aren't a bad team. I think the Vikings are probably a few pieces here and there away from being a really good team. So it'll be interesting to see what he does with his time in Minnesota and who he brings in as far as either draft picks or I don't know how much the GM has to do with free agent hiring or signings, I should say. But definitely, it'll be interesting to see what he does in Minnesota. All right. And I'll say this, because it, it was mentioned um, a day or two ago in our Slack chat, um, definitely before the coaching hires were announced, um, with two minority candidates actually getting GM positions in Kwesi Adolfo Mensa and Ryan Poles, the thought was maybe we'll see more minor- minority hires uh, for head coach. At this point, unfortunately, not so much. Um, and it's not to take away anything from the resumes of Hackett or Eberfluss, but we expect we because it, it's just human nature to hire people that you have common backgrounds with, uh, you know, guys you most likely like to get a beer with. You know, I I I, I hear this a lot in DNI, you know conversations that you know when people are sent out to recruit from colleges hire the person you most likely go get a beer with well that's all fine and dandy until 
you know, you send a male, particularly a white male out there to do the hiring and everyone he's hired is a young white male. And then you're trying well, to figure I out, well, where's all the diversity hiring? And that's not to knock, again, anyone's resume here, but the correlation does kind of go hand in hand. Um, the two coaches hired thus far, again, nothing to take away from them, but Nick, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, and I think you really see that when it comes to these cult, these coaches that are preaching that are like kind of culture over everything else, right. you know, because it just, you know, these owners, most of them are, are billionaires who made their money through like the corporate world. And they, most of them are old white guys, pretty much all of them, uh, all but one. <laughs> all and, but one, yeah. And, you know, and so they, they are extremely susceptible to this sort of like, motivational speaker like managerial corporate like we're going to change the culture of microsoft sort of like talk um but but that and, and that like speaks to them and their own experience very well but coaching a, an nfl team is so completely different in terms of you need to be able to motivate these men at at, at a different level if, if they're if you're going to succeed as a football team you have, you know, guys from a, a very diverse set of backgrounds, very mm -hmm. even very diverse ages. You know, you have guys that are like, you know, fresh faced kids coming out of, you know, being successful college players to, you know, dudes who are in their mid thirties with multiple kids and just, you know, are very good at what they do, but they're kind of, you know, they're family men at this point. And you need to get that whole wide range of dudes to be willing to bleed for you, you know, on the football field. Absolutely. And that's a completely different level of, of like interacting with people and getting each other than, being like a particularly efficient corporate manager, you know, and I think you just have so many of these guys that just can like talk a good game when they're talking to the, the, the owner about how I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, you know, we're going to have this culture that comes down from the top, all that kind of stuff. It's like, dude, like you can't have this be an employer employee relationship when it comes to the team. Um, and it's something I think it's, it's discounted a ton um, in this process is how well, you know, these guys actually interact with and, you know, and, and can lead a group of men um, in that in that way that is very different from a corporate boardroom. True indeed, true indeed. Couldn't said it better myself. Um, but yeah, like like I said, I, I just hope it translates into more hires. Uh, Nick, we know that your offensive coordinator's name is still being mentioned. And something we mentioned last week as well with all the coaching vacancies is that because there wasn't a hire of any sort last week, the other thing that I've noticed is that all of these teams if they have both a coach and a GM opening, they're looking to fill their GM first, coach second. A lot of times when there's coaching openings this time of year, it's let's hurry up and get the head coach that we want. We'll worry about the GM later. That oftentimes tends to blow up in people's faces, especially if there's no input from the head coach as far as who the new GM should be. Because the coach has to, especially if the coach is not highly involved, if they are... You know, there's one thing to be in the draft room and throw your opinion out there. But if they are in any way relegated from acquiring, from having a say-so in the talent that's being acquired, that necessarily doesn't go well when your GM and your head coach are not on the same page. Because you got a GM going after players they believe should make the team better and a coach not being able to put said new players in a position to succeed. Not a recipe really surprised. I've been surprised the teams are doing it that way because if you look at the the four teams that are left in the playoffs, I mean, the Bengals are always kind of their own situation because of the, mm -hmm. the their weird ownership or, or, and things like that. But like, okay, so Kansas City, who has more power there? Obviously, obviously, Andy Reid over Brett Beach. Brett Beach right. is his guy. Um, okay, so the Rams, 
Who do you think really has more power, Les Snead or McVeigh at this point? Snead. Les Snead is getting. Do you think Snead is the is a power broker there? I yeah, feel like at this point McVeigh has the sort of prestige I, that it's more about Snead getting guys for him. Yeah, and, and that's what I mean. So, not to take anything away from what McVeigh has done in the field as far as managing all the talent, but as far as the sheer acquisition of said talent, I mean, remember they have no first round draft pick for at least what the next two right. or three years for all the talent they acquired. I mean, uh, uh, through all the success they have, the two biggest names on their team that they actually drafted are Cooper cup and Aaron Donald. Don't get me wrong. Those nothing to slouch at, but Von Miller was acquired via free agency. Uh, so excuse me, uh, via trade with Denver. Odell Beckham jr. Was uh, available doing free, uh, through free agency. And there's only two teams who wanted to go to, uh, Green Bay and the Rams. They acquired their quarterback Stafford in a trade, and um, right, but but that that to me Rams is kind of my point. Via trade, so right. I mean, they built this team mostly through trades, right? But I mean, Stafford had to have been McVay's guy. I mean, they're not going to trade what they did for Stafford without True. McVay saying, "This is the dude I want. This, this is, is the, dude, the guy right, I need right. to run." If I know we, we traded him, a, this you know, guy. We, we traded hell and earth for Goff to get him in the draft, but it doesn't matter. We now know that he's not the guy. We need this guy. And I think, you know, it's one of the, I, I think always like the the test on this is just like, say the Rams have two terrible seasons. Say they go like six and 10 twice in a row. One of those guys is going to get fired. Which one? I doubt it would be McVay. Of course. Um, it's, uh, I don't know but anyways, about that. <laughs> but, but to round out the argument, you look at San Francisco, I think it's pretty clear that Shanahan is the 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 leading personality there in that front office that sure that front office you don't think it's lynch i don't i again i think if things were to go sideways i think shanahan's the one that sticks around um and that lynch is the guy who's getting shanahan's guys like is you know lynch very much views it as his job of you know going to to shanny and saying what do you need you know you know, what do you like in these, you know, whatever. And, and that, that's what the pipeline is built. It's not the GM saying we're going to build this my way and you're going to, you know, make the soup with my ingredients. I don't think that's <laughs> the way it's happening. And I kind of have to agree with that considering with what Shanahan did with his time in Atlanta. I think Shanahan is the bigger of the pair in that regard. So right. That's my point I- is I just think, I think most of the, the most successful franchises right now are built that way. Okay. where the the head coach has the most effective institutional authority and the the GM is a kind of a complementary role to the head coach who is really you know buying into the head coach's vision in a way where it's like my job is to get this guy what he needs um as opposed to you know a situation where the GM is like okay head coach you are my employee and I'm giving you these players and you are going to win with them and so that's why I find it I find it strange the teams are, are going the other way around that are hiring the GMs first is my, just my kind of point. The, the, the one pushback I would give you on that though, is I think that can only work if you have a head coach who knows how to get the best out of his players, because if you've got a mediocre head coach, do you really want the head coach telling the GM what to do? 
I mean, definitely not. And, and, and I do think the team screw up by finding themselves in that situation by there was a good uh, article in the ringer not too long ago about how like one of the things that these NFL teams keep on doing wrong over and over and over again is they're hoping to hire one guy who's going to be the savior of the entire franchise, franchise and somehow yeah. going to be great as both a, you know, an on the field coaching dude and also is going to be a great personnel guy or at least thinks one of his buddies is going to be able to do that for him. And the reality is there's just you know, no. that, that, that person is a bit of a myth, you know, that mm -hmm. there's just not many of those that exist. And yeah. in fact, they all need strong staffs, you know? So, but, um, but I, I think we've seen a rise of franchises where the, 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 the center of gravity is more behind the head coach. Uh, but maybe that changes who's, you know, we'll see what, you know, with this next hiring cycle and uh, as things move forward. Absolutely. I, I will say of, of the four teams left that the Rams and Niners probably have the best marriages between coach and GM. As you said, Reed's probably the one running everything there with, I'm not going to say GM in title only, but that's the guy in charge to get him the players. And then, you know, like you said earlier, the Bengals are their own entity out there doing whatever uh, they're doing. Um, so, we're going to put a pin in that right now for those coaching and GM moves, but something else that happened this week that I don't know if this came out of left field or not, but Sean Payton and the New Orleans saints agreed to part ways. Payton stepping down for at least a year says he's open to return to coaching. MJ saints, your biggest division rival, and you pretty much wouldn't douse them with water if they were on fire. Uh, nope. Your input <laughs> Your input on the uh, on the Saints and Sean Payton parting ways and this vacancy becoming open. <laughs> Sean Payton is without a doubt one of the best head coaches in the NFL. Before he took over in New Orleans, I think New Orleans had the third worst winning percentage in the league. And 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 you have to think about that for a second. You bring Sean Payton in, who, if I'm not mistaken, didn't Payton come in from, was it Dallas? Dallas, yeah. Yeah. He was Parcells' um, I, offensive coordinator. Yeah. So he comes in, he takes this pitiful franchise and turns it around into what some would call one of the powerhouses in the NFL right now. Um, him stepping away is huge, not just for the NFC South, but huge for football in general. Um, the rumors I have been hearing, and I'm sure everybody's been saying this as well, is that he was going to step away and take the head coaching job in Dallas. Now, we'll find out if that's true or not, um, but I think him walking away from the Saints kind of puts them in a not so great position because they're what 70-ish million over the cap mm -hmm. um, number of free agents as well including Jameis Winston could, you could make the argument that they've got no true starting quarterback um so yeah that kind of puts them in a really interesting position then you factor in I know Fontenot, who now is the Falcons GM, used to work for the Saints. I don't know what his position was in the organization, but I know it was in the front office. I know I don't know if he was assistant GM or whatever, but 
they lost some personnel over the last few years. So I think, you know, I don't expect us to hear very much good out of the Saints for the next couple of years. I think next year they'll probably still do fairly well just because they're still riding a little bit of a high from what Peyton has left with the organization. But I think following next season, we're not going to see very many good things coming out of New Orleans. Um, I think Peyton either stays in retirement, maybe does some commentating, um, or I could actually see him coming back and taking the job in Dallas because I just don't see that dude stepping away from football completely just yet because he was with the Saints for, what, 15 or 16 seasons? Yep. That's a long time to just say, all right, I'm out and walk completely away from the game. Nick? Yeah, I I, I kind of agree. In some ways, I think this was almost kind of a mutual thing of just like that. It, it seems like um, Sean Payton has been looking out the door a little bit for a while. And it just sort of seems like things were kind of coming to their natural end here, you know, with the, the you know, with Breeze's retirement now one year ago, all that kind of stuff, they're now facing cap hell for a year. Um, what else is new in New Orleans? But like particularly acute next year. And sure, they could probably restructure things, keep kicking the can down the road. But with a not great quarterback draft next year, why not just experience a cap hell um, and sort of organically tank for a year and then restart it with somebody new or at least give somebody the reins who is, you know, you think you want behind the rebuild um and then Peyton gets his you know one year vacation and maybe we'll see him on Monday Night Football or something but um I also it does seem like he's destined for that that Dallas job um but interestingly though if he were to walk away and never ever ever come back I mentioned your guys's thoughts um in terms of just you know knee-jerk reaction uh golden jacket or no for Mr. Sean Payton I would say yes and not just it's not the record it's not the super bowl it's what he helped bring to that community and i think that's pretty much the speech that the representative for the saints in the uh, denomination room makes it, it's beyond the coaching it's beyond the talent the uh the, the way he basically out leveraged defenses with his schemes and game planning I think that's a starting point, but that's not the selling point. I think the selling point is what he brought to that New Orleans community. So for that alone, I think an impassioned speech based on that alone, with some detractors, yeah, I, I he'd get in. The only question is, would it be first ballot or not? And I don't think it'd be first ballot. And that's where the, the real debate is. I don't think it's first ballot either. Oh, I definitely think it's first ballot. And this is coming from me. <laughs> where's the real mj i think you bumped your head he's he again third worst winning percentage in the league is what they were when that man took over he's going in first ballot and the the argument i think will be a combination of as james said what he brought to that new orleans community and I think it will be based on what he did. I, I think what he brought to the community will, as far as the, the, the speech and the way it's presented, will be based on what he did for the Saints organization. 
Um, but yeah, no, I, he's he's going in first ballot. I, I even I can't deny that. I don't <laughs> like again. I I love the city of New Orleans. I hate the Saints, but <laughs> yeah, he's, he's he's first ballot. He is. I, there's there's no denying it. The man is first ballot. The only thing I would add is just that, you know, I, I think the argument against him is just simply that, you know, one might argue that he underachieved just giving just given Breeze's career and some mm-hmm. of the offensive talent they had there through the years. And they just never got the defense right um, for a big chunk of that. And that's what uh, killed them. And it just, you know, it seems like one ring is not enough given some of the talent there. But I would say the tiebreaker for that kind of stuff always is, is like those teams were memorable, like. You know, even if they weren't the, you know, even some of the like the years that the Saints missed the playoffs, they had extremely memorable games um, throughout the season. They were always a must-watch team, and 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 those are the guys, the guys that lead those sorts of teams that like that. Where you know, a decade from now, we're all going to remember some of those games. Those are the guys that go in the hall. True, indeed. Um, Before we get to another potential Hall of Fame candidate, um, the Dallas Cowboys have reassured McCarthy will return this season as the head coach. And Dan Quinn has pulled his name from all coaching openings as of this point, says he wants to help Dallas win a Super Bowl. So he is staying put as Dallas's defensive coordinator. Um, Either of you care to weigh in on either of those decisions that came down? Um, I think Quinn sticking around uh, as DC for a couple more years is definitely the right move. Um, and that kind of, to me, says that in a couple years, we will definitely see Sean Payton in the Dallas head coaching job because Dan, it, Dan Quinn is a, he's a, he's an excellent defensive coordinator. Um, and he's going to need a head coach who is offensive minded. And yeah, I think he's sticking around for a few more years. We'll see Sean Payton come in. I think we'll see. I think we'll see the combination of Payton and Dan Quinn after the end of next season for at least five seasons. I think it it, it can't be a good look when um, your exit from the playoffs, from a time management standpoint, was so bad that everyone, everyone and their you know and their mother is comparing your end of game to the end of game coached by Andy Reid. And saying, "What the heck, man?" Yeah, that's especially considering Andy Reid used to have issues with end of game clock management several years ago. Right, right, and honestly, it, it's 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 become sort of a thing that's it's not even really real with Andy Reid anymore. But it's still just sort of funny, you know, that the, the Cowboys couldn't figure out the fourteen seconds, the Chiefs figured out the thirteen seconds, and and the fact that Andy Reid does still have that reputation of being the, the poor clock manager, and it's like, and you look terrible compared to that guy. Yeah, that's, that's not that's not a great taste in your mouth going into nope. year two of Mike McCarthy. All right. And finally here, uh, the last story we want to touch on. Uh, Roethlisberger finally, woefully, painlessly <laughs> put us all out of our collective misery and Pittsburgh Steelers fans, at least temporarily, by retiring after 18 years in Pittsburgh, uh, stepping down via video that he posted to Twitter. Um, most likely Hall of Fame quarterback, three Super Bowls, two wins, a uh, number of passing records in Pittsburgh, never had a losing record in his career in Pittsburgh. Um, 
pretty much all I got to say about the guy. Uh, I, I definitely think he, he goes in. I think it sucks that management over there hasn't really thought about this over the last two years and at least tried to find someone to groom for when he inevitably steps down. And I think it sucks that he waited two years too long to finally retire because say what you will about these last two seasons, he did not look good. And yes, last, not this past season, but 2020, when they started 11 and 0, he started to nosedive very quickly before they started losing four or five down the stretch. But um, yeah, he he is stepping down. Uh, Nick, first crack here. Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely glad that he didn't uh, stick it out for another year. I will say it, it sounds like from the people that I know that that are Steelers fans that they were actually kind of enjoying the farewell tour that like this last year was not um, as grating on the eyes as it was for fans of other teams uh, watching the Steelers. And um, and like, that's fine. It, you know, it almost feels like they're just like setting themselves up for like, a, you know, like an extra challenge just to like just do it hard mode because, you know, they've they've been able to cobbled together winning seasons with mm-hmm. you know Ben hurt or suspended and anybody like playing quarterback there you know and and there's certain consistent traits that they just have and I think they're just just confident in themselves yeah they'll find somebody I mean I think Teddy Bridgewater probably wins nine ten games for him next year if that if that's who it is you know it's just they're, they're I think they're just fine with it being a question mark right now MJ um he should have been gone three four years ago um, you're I'm, going back to three I, to four years, okay? <laughs> yeah, I'm going back three, four years. Um, even when even when Ben was at the peak of his performance, I, I don't know. I don't know that Ben Roethlisberger would be the quarterback that he will be remembered as had he not been in Pittsburgh. I've always said it for years. There's a system that they have in Pittsburgh. Um, that's not to, to take away from Roethlisberger's talent. I'm just not sure I agree with most people who think he is way more talented than what we actually know him to be. Um, but, yeah, I think he should have been gone three, four years ago. He's been on a steady decline, and it's just it, – it, it's been clear, at least to me, over the last three to four seasons – that he should have been retired and walked away from Pittsburgh. Well, ultimately, when his name comes up, he will be compared to the other two quarterbacks in his draft class, Eli Manning and Phillip Rivers. And again, I, I've said this plenty of times before. I Of those three, I think Ben is the surefire lock. Um, Manning and Rivers aren't hall of fame quarterbacks in my opinion because i feel like their numbers are similar the only difference is that eli has two rings rivers doesn't but you know ben has the numbers and the rings to warrant consideration if not get in so that that's pretty much where i stand on that and and in my position still hasn't changed looking back i mean compared to those two yeah and and because that's basically what the argument's going to be. Yes, he played in an era where basically Tom Brady still owned the conference, but they were the only team to consider, you know, I would say with occasions to the Baltimore Ravens, the only other team to really provide consistent competition to make Patriots fans nervous if they met in the playoffs of, uh-oh, we might lose this game. Yeah, them and the Peyton Manning, Colts, then Broncos. 
Um, but either way, I, I do think he ends up in. I think Eli does eventually um, because, as you mentioned, just purely because of the rings. Um, mm-hmm. And I think Rivers is still on the outside looking in. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere wear with daily bonuses that should brighten your day a little actually a lot so sign up now at chumbacasino.com that's chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus all right oh, let's move on here uh to the games this weekend championship sunday and we start first with the afc championship the cincinnati Bengals visiting the kansas city chiefs and when you know it, we, you know, Nick, I'm pretty sure you'll have a lot to say. But before we get into that, uh, the Chiefs are seven point favorites coming off one of the craziest divisional playoff games I have ever seen in my life. Folks, if you missed this game last week against the Bills, go back, find it. And if nothing else, watch the last two minutes in overtime of this game. And, and if your heart is still beating normally and I had no rooting interest and there's something wrong with you. Uh, useless stat here we have from our shadowy background figure. Kansas City has scored 28 or more points in each of their previous seven games. They have averaged 46.1 yards per drive while scoring on 64.2% of those possessions with a touchdown on 44.8% over that span. All tops in the NFL during that time frame. You're still going to need to put points on the board to beat the Chiefs as they score 20 or more points in four of their five losses with 24 or more in three of them. On Saturday, the Bengals won, allowing nine sacks. How rare is that? Well, they were the 10th team to win a game while allowing nine or more sacks in league history in a sample of 160 games. The worst (laughs) part of it all was that all the sacks taken last week by Burrow were with four or fewer pass rushers. Burrow was sacked four times for minus 31 yards, when these teams played in week 17 and uh, sorry to bring this up again, Nick, but uh, week 17, you guys lost 34, 31. Uh, the oh, over, did we? <laughs> the over under for the team total is 30.5 subject to change. The chiefs have scored 42 points in both playoff games this season joined in the 1990 bills as the only teams to score 40 or more points in back-to-back playoff games. Jamar chase, who I believe is offensive rookie of the year. Uh, has averaged 106.8 yards per game and has four receiving touchdowns in six career postseason games, including college. Uh, the Bengals, 4-11-1 and all-time in 2020, are the seventh team in the last 35 seasons to reach the conference title game despite winning four fewer games the previous season, the first since the Niners did it in 2019. 
The Chiefs have averaged 33.2 points per game in the postseason with Mahomes as their quarterback, the highest by any starting quarterback in NFL history, a minimum of five games. Franchise comparison, the Bengals have three seasons with 12-plus wins, 7-4 postseason, 7-14 postseason record, and a 2-0 record in the AFC Conference title game, 0-2 in the Super Bowl. The Chiefs, four seasons with 12-plus wins, 8-2 postseason record, 2-1 in the AFC Conference title game, and 1-1 Super Bowl record. The Actually, that should be 2-1, or 2-2, two two, excuse me. Yeah, that should be 2-2. Two and two. Uh, The Bengals are 2-0, uh, are one of two teams that have played in and have never lost a conference championship game in the Super Bowl era. The Giants are 5-0. and uh, The Chiefs are 12-1 and when they average fewer than five yards a carry this season, best win percentage in the NFL, and 2-4 and when they average more than five yards a carry. Tell of two seasons here, Joe Mixon, Bengals running back in the first 11 games of the season, averaged 18.9 carries a game for 84 yards rushing per game, 4.4 yards a carry, 11 total touchdowns. In the last seven games of the season, 16.4 yards carries per game, 54.7 rushing yards per game with 3.3 yards per carry average and three touchdowns. Patrick Mahomes has 30-plus passing touchdowns in 10 career playoff games, the most by any player in a 10-game span in postseason history. Joe Burrow is 6-0 in his career in postseason games dating back to college. Patrick Mahomes is 4-1 in his career, including playoffs, versus teams he lost to previously that season, winning four straight. Uh, Joe Burrow has averaged 11.7 yards passing when targeting uh, Jamar Chase this season, including the playoffs, highest minimum 125 attempts. And Travis Kelsey and Tariq Hill have 2,048 combined receiving yards in games they have played together in the postseason, the most by teammate duo, not including Jerry Rice in NFL history. Nick, <laughs> it's all yours. <laughs> Man. Okay, so you just threw a ton of numbers out there. I think maybe my favorite is the the Mahomes 4-1 and one against teams he – in the playoffs against teams he lost to in the, the regular season because yeah. that one loss was um, the last Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Um and we all know what the extenuating circumstances of that were. You know, the, the the Kansas City team that played the Tampa Bay Buccaneers during the regular season had an offensive line. The team that faced them in the Super Bowl did not. Um, <laughs> and that wasn't that, oh, there was something schematic that changed. No, the, 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 the guys Injuries. physically were not there anymore, right? <laughs> they were injured. And, and I think unless you can come up with some sort of an extenuating circumstance here, I just don't see how the Bengals win this one. Now, look, I mean, I think this very well could be another close game. Will it be as close as the, you know, maybe the most razor edge playoff game we've ever seen in terms of the, the Chiefs Bills last week? I don't know. But um, I, I will say, if you look at that, if, if you give the rewatch of that week 17 uh, Chiefs Bengals game, um, you know, I, I've seen some t- takes out there that somehow like the Chiefs played a great game and like and, and the Bengals still won. Like Chiefs did not play their, their a great game. There were, there were a lot of stuff that went on there. The Chiefs only scored. They went in with a multiple multiple score lead into the half, but they only scored three points in the second half. They had ten penalties, six of which gave the Bengals uh, first downs because there was a ton of stuff on defense. The Chiefs were fairly unlucky with the officiating of that game. I didn't think it was officiated particularly well, but I'm not going to complain about that. The, the fact is is that it just wasn't. 
you know, it, it's one of those things. It, it was actually, it was a, an officiating crew that had never actually uh, worked together before. Like they were cobbled together from a bunch of different ones. Mm-hmm. Um, and if anything, in the playoffs so far, the, the officials have been swallowing their whistle. And I, I think that's, that's, that's the right way to approach the playoffs. But, um, I, I, you know, so there was that. There was the fact that the Chiefs, like, all three of their tackles got injured in that game. They had Joe Tooney like kicking out to the left tackle. Um, and, and they had the weird sequence of events that ended the game, uh, which we don't need to go play by play on that. But the point is, is that there were all of those things. There, there was, there was a series of weird things that occurred in that game. Some of which were outside of the control of either team and some of which were, you know, inside of the control of the chiefs. Now, among the things that were outside of the control, also, I mean, I didn't even mention that, you know, one of those penalties took a, a kickoff return for a touchdown off the board. But anyways, of the things that were major contributors to that loss that are in, under the Chiefs' uh, control were the Chiefs had a terrible defensive game plan for the Bengals the first time around. Um, and look, I like Spags. I think he's a good defensive coordinator. I think he, um, you know, I, I, I think he generally gives the, the Chiefs uh, the, the best chance to win week in, week out. But because he is aggressive and because he has a, a certain philosophy, you kind of, you kind of, uh, you live and you die by the spags. Um, and that was a week that we died by the spags because his <clears throat> philosophy is everything, you know, invest everything up the middle, you know, uh, heavily in your defensive line for pressure, um, have your most talented guys on the next levels of the defense also be in the middle because the outside throws are lower percentage anyway. And um, and as long as, you know, the opposing quarterback is under pressure, especially and you're doing the job in terms of like limiting uh, run gains on the first couple of downs, no matter what, any throws to the outside are going to be probably under duress anyway. And it's already low percentage. And so even if we don't have great corners out there, as long as they're in roughly the right position, the 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 math just works out that those are going to be unsuccessful plays over time. Okay, but but Nick, I, I hear what you're saying there. But I watched that game back in week 17, mm-hmm. and I remember that zero blitz up the gut. Yep. And I hear what you're saying on the outside throw, but one of those wide receivers on the outside is, again, most likely going to be our offensive rookie of the year. That's what I was Chase. getting to. That's what I was getting to. <laughs> so, like, what Spags does is great against, you know, your your average NFL team. Like, it's great for winning, you know, uh, double-digit games in the regular season because most of the you know the quarterbacks you're facing um, are going to wilt under the pressure. They're not going to they're going to avoid the low percentage throws in general, and and it just plays into exactly into what Spags wants. Um, the the Bengals are like the kryptonite to this defense because a they have maybe the best pair of outside weapons in the league. I mean, Jamar Chase and T Higgins. Man, like those are two guys. It's not just the fact that they're both extremely talented, but they have big bodies. They're both fast and large, and they can fight for those 50-50 balls. And you have Joe Burrow, who's a guy who, even if he doesn't have an offensive line, he doesn't matter how pressured he is. He trusts those outside guys. He doesn't care. He'll throw those 50-50 balls over and over and over again. As long as he sees those guys are one-on-one, he's throwing it. And that's just what happened over and over and over in that game. And it was just at some point, it's like, Spags, what are you? Like, have you not watched this game? Like, we're we're deep into this game. Can you please change the strategy here? And nope, zero blitz on on third and twenty seven, and that was essentially the game. We're like, okay, once again, you know, Jamar Chase single covered um, completion for thirty yards, and they continued that drive, and then the officials helped out, and either way, they won. And and so 
you know, I, I just I can't imagine the Chiefs coming into that game, uh, coming to this game with the same strategy. Um, for all of his faults in terms of sometimes being stubborn in in-game adjustments, Spags is actually, I think, is a very good coach in terms of adjusting the game plan week to week. And, you know, they, 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 look, they, they saw the tape, too. The big wild card here from an injury standpoint is Honey Badger's availability because um, he's out. He's in the concussion protocol as we speak right now. As far as I've seen, he was practicing, but hasn't hasn't been cleared. And so, you know, in terms of giving help to those outside guys against those weapons, um, uh, without Honey Badger in there, we're talking about um, Juan Thornhill, which is a thumbs up, and Dan Sorensen, which is a thumbs down. <laughs> so. Um, <laughs> You know that that's going to be critical. I mean, his availability is going to be big. Um, I mean, you could you could see the lack of his presence in the game against the Bills, where he he got knocked out in the first drive. Yeah. Um, and you know that game would have been played differently <laughs> if he had been there the whole time. Um, and so I, you know, but at the same time, I just you know you look at the the struggles that um, the Bengals had in protecting Burrow. I don't imagine they're going to be doing much better against this Chiefs D-line. And as long as they can just do something that, you know, it, it, as long as they they mix it up a little bit, um, I think they're going to be fine. And again, on the offensive side of the ball, playoff Mahomes is still, you know, kind of just a different level than, than regular season Mahomes. Um, he and that, the whole trio, him, Kelsey, and, um, and Hill just go next level. Um, when it comes to this, the one other guy I just wanted to shout out is, is just simply that on the offensive side of the ball, I have been banging the table for like two years for the Chiefs to really invest in a second wide receiver, someone to take the pressure off and somebody who can really exploit a one on one when teams are doubling both Kelsey and Hill and extremely quietly. Byron Pringle has kind of become that guy. Yeah, um, yes. And that's what's sort of crazy. I don't think anyone's really taken note of it. Um but, you know, basically, so Sammy averaged like 537 yards per season in his three seasons with KC. Mm -hmm. Pringle had uh, 568 this year. Uh, Sammy never had more than three touchdowns in the regular season and just one in the postseason. Pringle already had five this year and three in the playoffs through the last two games. Um, and McCole Hardman, who have also been critical of, you know, he now that he's like upped his consistency and he's not dropping the balls, they actually get quite a lot of value out of him in plays designed for him. And I, and I think because of that and the way that the running game has come on and the way that the this O-line is now, they figured out how to best run behind it. Um, this may be the most well-rounded Chiefs offense that we've actually seen under Mahomes, which is kind of crazy to think. Like As, as nuts as the, as the game against the Bills was, where the Chiefs scored 42 points, Mahomes didn't attempt a single pass of over 20 yards in that whole game. And so, like, all this whole season, they've been saying, like, oh, well, if you just take away the deep ball, can Mahomes handle it? Can he do it? It's like, well, he just put a 42 without without a single deep pass. Yeah, so, the Bills were consistent in that too high safety look, and they stayed with it all game. Yeah. MJ, anything to add? The only thing I'm going to add, because I'm, I'm, I'm picking Kansas City to win this weekend, is – as good as both of these teams are, if Cincinnati let Kansas City do to Joe Burrow what the Bills did last week, they are not going to win this game. You cannot let – Oh, you mean the Titans? Your court, the, I'm sorry. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Sorry, the Titans. The Titans. Sorry, the Titans. Yeah. Um, you cannot let your quarterback get sacked nine times 
and still expect to win this game. I'm already picking Kansas City to win, but if they get that much pressure on Burrow, it's going to be a slaughter. Yeah, the only thing I'll add here is, um, Nick, you said it best. Playoff Mahomes is a totally different animal than a regular season Mahomes. And granted, these two teams did meet five weeks ago. I hope your defensive coordinator has learned his lesson about zero blitzing as far as when to do it and when not to do it. Um, Third and over 20, I just play coverage. If they get (laughs) 10 and decide to go for it on fourth and 10, then let them play coverage again. Um, But yeah, I, I, I probably would rely on the front five or six to get pressure and just try your best to limit the wide receivers because as young as they are they're still dangerous and i wouldn't want to leave any one of them especially not chase one-on-one um and going back to the bills game this past sunday the only knock i have on that game is that like you said when honey badger went out and Sorensen came in and was pretty much the guy on like 90% of the defensive snaps from that point forward after Matthew went out. I'm surprised the Bills didn't throw the ball a lot sooner than they did because they tried to stick with a running game in the first half. And in the second half, they decided, you know what, let's just air it out. I feel like that game would have went a completely different direction if they just decided, let's just spread, throw it deep, because Sorensen's in there, and that's the guy we're going to pick on. H- how their offensive coordinator didn't find that mismatch and exploit it, I have no idea. My final note on the game was just that the um, so the last matchup between the Chiefs and the Bengals was in Cincinnati, and mm-hmm. you know, it, granted, it's been kind of bulletin board material that is absolutely almost almost unfair because it was a quote that he gave in like October or something like that. But Burrow was saying was talking about how you know. NFL stadiums, they're like none of them are as loud as the SEC. It's like, well, buddy, you're going to Arrowhead and the AFC Championship game. And, you know, and Kansas City fans are like that, you know, SNL Will Ferrell character. They cannot control the pitch or tone of their voice. We're loud, we're proud, get used to it. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, Arrowhead Stadium, I. still believe is one of the top three or four loudest stadiums in the league only behind or up there with Seahawks and their home field and the saints and their dome. According to Guinness world book of records, the loudest period that they've measured and by far the loudest outdoor stadium worldwide. Yeah. So there you go. Uh, We're all going with the Chiefs here on this one. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. The NFC Championship game. And by the way, the AFC Championship will be 3 p.m. on CBS. The NFC Championship, 6.30 on Fox. 
Features division rivals, San Francisco 49ers traveling to the L.A. Rams. The Rams are three-and-a-half-point favorites. And before I get into my useless stat, I will remind everyone listening that while, yes, the Rams are at home and are favored by slightly more than a field goal, they have lost the last six in a row to the 49ers. That is not a made-up stat or something I just pulled out of the air you can actually look this up and see it. Three years in a row, they have been swept by the 49ers. Uh, the useless stat says the 49ers and Shanahan have now won each of the past six me meetings versus the Rams, winning five of those six as underdogs. The Rams are 24th in the league in turnovers per game, 1.4, while having multiple turnovers in 10 games tied for the most in the league. In six career starts versus the Rams, Garoppolo has averaged 258.2 passing yards per game with an 8.8 yards per attempt. It's hard for teams to beat an opponent three times in a season. That's not true. Teams with the chance to complete a three-game sweep in the playoffs are 14-8 and eight in the modern era. More useless stats. The over-under for passing yards is 222.5, subject to change. Jimmy Garoppolo has averaged 146 passing yards per game in his playoff career, the fewest by any starting quarterback in the postseason in the last 30 seasons with a minimum of five starts. Uh, Matthew Stafford, 295.2, has averaged the fifth most passing yards in the playoffs in NFL history, minimum of five starts. Uh, welcome to SoFi Stadium. This is the first instance in NFL history of a conference championship and a Super Bowl being played in the same stadium in the same postseason. Jimmy Garoppolo is 9-2 in his career with San Francisco since 2017, including the playoffs, in games with zero touchdown passes. The rest of the NFL starting quarterbacks are 161, 417, and 1 in that span that is basically 28 percent of winning when throwing no touchdowns uh matthew stafford is the 17th quarterback over the last 40 seasons to start a conference championship game in their first three seasons with a team 13 of the previous 16 quarterbacks lost the conference championship uh debo samuel 162 touches touches not catches uh, 1,963 scrimmage yards, 15 touchdowns, 37 big plays, which is any play of 20 yards or more. Cooper Cup, 163 touches, 2,209 yards uh, from scrimmage, 18 touchdowns, 35 big plays. Yeah, these two will be key. Uh, this is the ninth time since divisional realignment in 2002 that a team is facing a divisional opponent in the playoffs after defeating them twice in the regular season. The team that won in the regular season is 5-3. and three. The Rams are 0-2 against the Niners this season, 14-3 versus all other opponents, and have lost six straight versus Frisco since 2019. Garoppolo has fewer than 175 passing yards in each of the four play career playoff wins, the most such wins in, NFL in, in, in the NFL since 2000. The Rams have won seven of their last eight games, the only loss being in week 18 to San Francisco, tied with Kansas City for the best record in the NFL since week 13, including the playoffs. Entering the conference championship, the Niners have two touchdowns and 20 offensive possessions this postseason. Uh, tell the two seasons, uh, Matthew Stafford versus the Blitz, 
88.9 completion percentage, 12.4 yards per attempt, two touchdowns, no interceptions up for a 158.1 rating versus no blitz, 60.9% completion, 5.8 yards per attempt, two touchdowns, four interceptions, 63.3 passer rating. According to Next Gen Stats, the 49ers have five players with six or more quarterback pressures this postseason. No other team has more than two such players. Matthew Stafford has a 10.0 completion percentage, one passing touchdown, three interceptions, and a 43.3 rating when targeting Odell Beckham Jr. on deep passes, including the playoffs. And finally, the Niners have allowed one player to rush for 60 or more yards in a game since week 10. That is Seattle's Travis Homer. 73 of his 80 yards were on a fake punt. MJ, since you're the, <laughs> another NFC fan here, uh, your take on this matchup. So I've picked the Rams to win the game, but honestly, I think you could, I think this game is going to be very, very close. Um, this is one of those games, James, that I know I've talked to you about, about just letting the flip of a coin pick it. I mm -hmm. really think this game could be decided by the flip of a coin. Um, the biggest advantage that I think the 49ers have is their run, their run game and Debo Samuels. That man can do some amazing things on the football field. However, I know I have given Stafford a lot of crap over the last 10 or so years. And deservedly so. And, and, and deservedly, well, the, the more and more I think about it, honestly, I'm not sure if he deserves all of the crap that I gave him, he definitely <laughs> deserved a lot of it. He definitely deserved a lot of it. Um, some of it, some of it is just good old college rivalry, but some of it is, yeah, you made some pretty poor decisions. Um, but I know I give him a lot of crap for have never won a playoff game. But his time with the Rams, he's playing like a, I think he's playing like a different quarterback. And I know it's probably he's got better personnel with the Rams than he ever had with the Lions. Uh, collectively, I should say collectively, because there is one wide receiver that we can all agree we don't know that we'll ever see another like him. But collectively, he's had better talent with the Rams than he ever had in Detroit. And I think that he recognizes that, and he recognizes that he's got to do something. And he's been doing it. Granted, he's thrown a lot of interceptions this season. He's done a lot of things to try and lose games. But he's won some amazing games. And in that regard, I have to pick the Rams because Matthew Staff the, the Rams have made me a believer in Matthew Stafford. Whoa. Stop. Time yeah. out. Exactly. Who are exactly. you? What have you done with MJ? I think pod people are invading. Exactly. Oh my gosh, Nick. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, I, I'm really close on this one too. But you know, just for fun, for and for a lot of other reasons, I'm I'm going with the Niners in this one, and it doesn't really make sense on paper. Although, as you mentioned, you know, the the Niners have basically owned the McVay Rams for the last three years, mm-hmm. and um, you know, I, I think pre Stafford, the pre Stafford. <laughs> well, no, no, that includes this year too. They swept them this season. <laughs> they swept, and, 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 well, and just just in case, fair. hold that's up. Fair. No, you're right. They did. They did. Let, let me remind you, the first meeting was on Monday night. The score was 31 to 10 Frisco, and it wasn't really that close. And the second matchup was at the last game of the season in LA, 27-24 Frisco, uh, Frisco. And if Frisco had lost that game because of the Saints outcome, they wouldn't be in the playoffs right now. So the Rams have themselves <laughs> to thank for playing Frisco a third time because had they taken care of business at the end of the season, the Niners wouldn't be here. Go ahead, Nick. Fair point. Fair point. And that's just the crazy thing about this particular matchup because I think a lot of people are, you know, with a lot of these games, they just look at, okay, the two quarterbacks and like whichever quarterback I think is better, I'm picking that team, right? And that's the easy way to evaluate a lot of NFL games. But you look at this one, um, and honestly, I think this game is more about McVay and Shanahan and Debo and Cooper Cup. Those are the guys that I'm I'm more interested in. The, the, whichever of those those four have the better games, the, that's who's going to determine who's going to be winning this one. Um, and I think there's just the, the, you know Debo was was banged up in the last game. It looks like he's going to be available for uh, you know for this one, which is huge. And um, I think the other thing I just sort of think about in terms of the way that this is all going to work. I mean, I am just penciling in. I, uh, you know, I guess uh, betting has now come to New York State where I am. <laughs> I, I haven't gotten set up on any of the apps, but I'm just going to say, I, I, you know, if, if there's a way I can put down money on um, uh, the the over on Stafford turnovers, if it's if it's more than if the line is more than one and a half, I'm I'm hammering that over. I just think. I think whether it's an interception and a, and a strip sack, something like that, I just think um, the you know Stafford has has done a lot of great things, obviously, with the Rams um, since his change of um, of scenery. But there's still some some Detroit Stafford and Stafford, and and especially just the way that the 49ers play up front on defense. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they, they have a lot of talent, but even more than that, they're just so competent in the way that they execute stuff like stunts and, um, and and the things that are going to get into the face of a guy like Stafford who likes to take deep drops and likes to keep looking deep. And it, it only takes a handful of plays where there's a guy in his face and he's still looking deep for that to be another turnover, whether it's a fumble or, or an interception. I just think you know, despite how these teams line up on um, on paper, it's one of those things where this is not one where you can just like line up the two teams on Madden and, and play like the auto simulation or whatever like that. Like the history matters and the way that these two teams play each other matters. And I think I think Shanahan has enough tricks in his bag to make it work. I also would would hammer the over on we haven't seen Trey Lance for since like week five or something like that. Uh, yeah, it's been a while. If there's an over for like Trey Lance touches uh, at two or three, I'm, I'm hitting that over too. I think Shanahan's been saving some stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I have to agree with you there. And oh gosh, like the most positive thing I can say about Stafford so far in these playoffs, he has yet to throw an interception. 
<laughs> like, and, and, and honestly, that that is truly the most surprising thing about both of their victories in the playoffs against the Cardinals and the Bucks last week. He has not thrown an interception. Um, now, against the Cardinals, he didn't have to do much because they simply imploded on themselves. And last week, the Bucks secondary took a vacation and let Cooper Cup run free untouched through their, you know, through the secondary. So Maybe you should guard that guy. You, you you might want to guard number 10. Um I, I'd have been okay if Odell Beckham Jr. was the one who torched them because he he's only been there like six weeks. But the guy who's pretty much, you know. Number one priority in slowing down, you let run untouched through every single coverage, whether it was zone or man. And they they didn't even run bump and run at all. I don't understand what the coordinator was doing last week for the Buccaneers. But, yeah, you could just see it on, on just regular game viewing. Like, he's running where he wants to with zero restriction whatsoever so look the Niners aren't going to do that again they've played him twice they're going to know where cup is at all times even if it is zone coverage I expect some type of something that looks like a double team forcing somebody else like Odell Beckham Jr. or someone else to beat them um I can only hope they get to Stafford to force him to make some errant throws that turn into interceptions uh, pretty much what saved their season so they can get into the playoffs like the last week of season. But I don't, I, I don't know. Yeah. I, look, I, I've been extremely hard on Stafford as well, because again, I still think there's some Detroit in him. Um, Josh, our Lions fan used to say that Stafford can be good if he didn't throw the soul crushing interception. I was waiting for it last week against the Buccaneers, but again, the Bucks let Cooper cup run, untouched through the secondary on back-to-back plays and Stafford just hit him between the one and the zero. So um, not that that's going to happen this week, but this, this game, I think is, I think this game turns out more so like it did at the end of the regular season, as opposed to the Monday night, you know, dismantling that they took. Um, That said, I, 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 considering the way the Niners played last week, Offense has to generate something. Uh, they didn't get much against the Packers. Special teams was the one unit that dominated for them. I don't think they can rely on defense holding the Rams to 10 points and then getting lucky on a block punt and then a block field goal uh, to win this game. So, yeah, offense, this this is on Garoppolo throwing the ball as well because the running game should eat. But Garoppolo has to keep them on schedule, much like he did against Dallas in the first half, not the second half where he tried to give the game away. Um, And that's what I was going to say. It was just like in Stafford's defense, like we haven't even brought up Garoppolo. Uh, And Garoppolo is – the Niners are probably going to also have to overcome some Garoppolo mistakes. mm -hmm. The the only difference is like no one expects him to play well. (laughs) That's opposed to Stafford. So – and we've seen the Niners be able to overcome a lot of bad Garoppolo ball. Um, mm-hmm. The question is whether the Rams could. Oof. We, we will find out. Uh, I did miss the injury report on the AFC Championship, so let me hit that real quick. Uh, Josh Tupo, defensive tackle, has a knee injury. He is questionable 
for that game, Stanley Morgan, wide receiver, hamstring, and Cam Sample, defensive end, growing. Uh, those are only names on the Bengals report. We mentioned Tyron Matthew earlier. He is still in concussion protocol, though he did fully participate in practice on Thursday. Darrell Williams, running back, toe, was limited in practice on Thursday. And uh, Chris Lemons uh, will remain on injury reserve for the rest of the season. That was announced. So uh, Lemons will not return in any way. Kalen Saunders uh, was activated from injury reserve, so he may be available uh, for this as well. For <laughs> the Niners, just, oh, my gosh. <laughs> Jeff Wilson and Elijah Mitchell, both running back, show up on the injury report, ankle and knee, respectively. Uh, Tavon Wilson, the safety, uh, had uh, um, had a foot injury. Uh, the practice period did expire on Wednesday, so he will remain on injury reserve. They were not able to get him uh, going. Trent Williams suffered an ankle sprain in the win over the Packers, um, so he is currently on the injury report right now. That's going to be huge if he can't go. Uh, for the Rams, Van Jefferson has a knee injury, so he was limited in practice. Taylor Rapp, the safety, is in concussion protocol. Joe Noteboom, the tackle, uh, suffered pectoral strain. So uh, he is questionable for the game on Sunday. And Ernest Jones, linebacker, uh, has a chance to return from IR to play in the game Sunday uh, with his ankle injury. Uh, gentlemen, uh, one more thing I have to mention about this game. The referees for this game, uh, the, starting with the AFC Championship, is Bill Vinovich. He will be the head referee for the game. Uh, in games that he refereed in 2021, the Bengals are one and two. The Chiefs <laughs> are two and zero. Oh. He also was it was that crew for uh, Super Bowl 54, which the Chiefs won over the Niners, which we may okay. see a rematch of uh, in a couple weeks. Indeed, indeed. The NFC Championship head referee is Carl Schaefer's. Uh, in 2021. The Rams were one and zero in games that he re refereed, and the Niners were two and one in games that he officiated. Uh, so actually, uh, he officiated. He actually did officiate a Rams and Niners game back in October of 2020, which Frisco ended up winning 24-16. So two seasons ago. So always know who your officials are. <laughs> I, I, I like to say. Pay from that what you will as far as these matchups. Anything either of you would like to add uh, as far as the games this weekend? No, nothing that really jumps out. Yeah, I, I, um, I would bet against this weekend being as close as last weekend. Uh, really, it's still going to be plenty of fun. Yeah, I mean, I think that I think there's I think there's a good chance of like both of these games going. Um, going close but i i don't know just somehow it just, just the, the juju in the air makes me feel like um it's going to be multiple scores uh in terms of the differential on both wow so you don't think either game is going to so if i would say what 10 points <laughs> you think both up both winners are by more than 10 around 10 would around be 10. Is, is my prediction which i could be completely wrong on but um, 
but I just I just get that feeling. I think we may have seen, you know, it just the playoffs just tend to be this way where there tends to be one really great week and then the ones around it tend to be slightly disappointing. Um I, I I don't think we can get it, it, it's just the football gods are not kind enough to give us two truly great weeks in a row. You know, considering the possible matchups that we have for the Super Bowl with these four teams, oh, I, I really don't want to agree with you. But if, if there is a blowout or two this weekend, then maybe the Super Bowl is closer and then vice versa. If these are close games, the Super Bowl might be a coronation for somebody <laughs> as opposed to a close contest. I, I'm I'm hoping for close games both weekends, but uh, this is why they play the games on the field and not on paper. Right. So hey, well, Super Bowl that, 54 was fun. We could just redo that again. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm just saying, yeah, for, you know, I, I, I mean, it was still close, though. <laughs> it was. Yeah. <laughs> until Although, it wasn't <laughs> until it wasn't but <laughs> when it wasn't was still very close to the end <laughs> oh man see th- this 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 is why oh gosh th- th- nick i appreciate you joining us <laughs> it's been it's been too long <laughs> i'll i mean look you know you you didn't ask me how worried i was in in the bills game and 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 i don't know if, if, if things come down to it with the, the Bengals again, I'm still going to be, you know, probably climbing the walls mentally, although it is one of those weird things. I mean, now with you've just seen it so many times with Mahomes, like with with the 13 seconds last week, it was like there was maybe like I think my subconscious was like preparing myself, you know, it was like, oh, all right, well, the next year or whatever. But like 80 percent of me was just like still very much like. I literally have no idea how it's possible that the Chiefs are going to score a, a three points and take this to overtime, but they're gonna. It's gonna be. Let's see how they do it. <laughs> it's just, I, I have no idea how this is going to work, but um, but I've just seen it too many times. Um, and um, but I think that's why I, I'm glad it's it, it, for the Bengals. It's going to be fun because I think if there's a team that is kryptonite to what the Chiefs like to do, it's potentially the Bengals. And so um, mm-hmm. I would. Uh, my smugness aside, I would not be astounded if the Chiefs lose this game, even if they are, you know, technically the better team or whatever. Just because I think the the Bengals have have, you know, the kryptonite tipped spears um, that that could kill, you know, Superman and the Chiefs. So you know, I I do have a little funny story about your game against the Bills and the end of regulation. Um, I'm watching the game. And typically the only person I talk to when football games are on is my mother because she is a huge football fan as well. Uh, She calls me right after the kickoff of the touchdown because she's watching the game via streaming app and they're like several seconds behind. So it's a touchback. They go into their little promos for shows of the week. The offense is coming out onto the field referees are waiting to wind the clock to get them set to play my mom calls me and the first thing she says is what the hell was that like mom what are you talking (laughs) about why why did the chiefs defense let that wide receiver run through the middle of them and catch that touchdown why wasn't anybody near him and 13 seconds left i can't believe they lost this game i'm like mom the the game's not over yet (laughs) this this game is over i don't i don't know what you're looking at which i was like 
my, I don't know where you are in the game right now, but the Chiefs have the ball and they actually just, you know, completed the pass to Tariq Hill for like 30 yards. This game is nowhere near over. They're like still eight seconds left and they're about to run another play after this timeout. Wait, what? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know what's going on with your slowdown streaming app, but this is what's happening right now. Oh, well, just call me back when the game is over because I can't handle this anymore. Okay, bye. <laughs> <laughs> so we all know what happens later. She literally did not watch any more of the game. Um, <laughs> and when Kelsey catches the touchdown pass from Mahomes, I call her back and I'm like, okay, so uh, the Chiefs won in overtime with a touchdown to Kelsey. Are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> I, I was like, the next play after you called me, they threw another 30-yard pass to Kelsey um, and immediately called timeout and kicked the game-tying field goal, and then they won the coin toss. And then they drove down the field in like four plays and scored a touchdown. You're lying. You're making this up. This didn't happen. It's like, <laughs> you can turn the game on. You can turn on the post-game coverage right now, turn to ESPN. They're showing highlights as we speak. <laughs> completely mind blown at that point <laughs> completely mind blown and i'm just like like but the whole point like when she's calling complaining about the last gabriel davis touchdown this game <laughs> is over and look I, I get it nick you're probably thinking there's no way in hell they get anything with 13 seconds but i'm like it's Mahomes and reed and i've seen crazier shit before excuse me you know with your chiefs doing stuff yep. whether it's the end of half or the end of game to getting scoring position. And this is and the by NFL. the way, there, there's, you know, there's a great uh, bit of uh, NFL films video circulating uh, just in the last day or so um, about how that 13 seconds came together. And actually, like weirdly, Travis Kelsey was kind of the instigator for the whole thing coming together. Yeah, I, I've seen, seen it, some of that. Yeah. Look it up. It's <laughs> fascinating. Um, it's also why he's, you know, the best tight end of all time. But that's maybe a discussion for another day. Y you know what? I I'm, I'm going to let you have that right now because he's still playing <laughs> and he had, he's on the verge of getting a second ring in his third super, possibly third Super Bowl appearance. I'm going to let you have that for right now, but there's a debate to be had on that subject, my friend. Especially by a new tight end who just got drafted this season and is only on the end of his rookie season. Oh, we're already talking about Kyle Pitts in the, oh, come on. <laughs> yep, yep, absolutely. Absolutely. You you're not gonna throw around the title of best tight end and we not talk about Kyle Pitts. Well he did say Neither all are time. You and talking about a rookie, man. Like, come he, on. He, he, he did say I'm, all time. I, I I gotta give it a couple of years before your tight end is considered MJ. I'm just saying yeah. my tight the, the, the out of out of rookie tight end records, the only one he didn't break was Ditka's uh Ditka's number of yards. All right, all right. Let's we'll we'll, we'll keep we'll talk again in a decade, and, uh, <laughs> and we'll see how that all works out. And look, me calling Kelsey the best of all time also kind of wounds me at the same time, just because I've been a long time. You know, like Tony Gonzalez has been I was my about hero, to say, like you're, lifelong. You're dismissing right. Mr. Gonzalez, and so it doesn't. It doesn't. It, it almost feels wrong to say, but it also feels increasingly the right thing to say. Um, I, I, I also I, another think... tight end who played for the Falcons. Yeah, you know, I, mean, I, I, I know there was this. I know there was this other team that he played for before he came to us. But I don't. I don't. I don't think about that very much. Oh my gosh! <laughs> you know, I, I think Sterling Sharp's little brother might have something to say as well. He's always got something to say. 
<laughs> I can see he Sterling sh- shaking his oh. head right now. <laughs> All right. Well, that's going to wrap this edition of Next Fan Up. Uh, if you would like to reach out to us to pretty much call us chuckleheads about our takes this week, about anything, whether it's coaching hires, GM hires, outlook on the game, uh, you can reach out through, via email nextfanup at gmail.com or on Facebook or Twitter at nextfanup. For MJ, our Falcons fan, for Nick, our smug Chiefs fan, I am James, your Eagles fan, saying so long. We'll see you next week. We'll probably talk about Hall of Fame semifinalists and a slight preview of the Super Bowl. But mostly the Pro Bowl. No, we won't. (laughs) Trying to do the challenge of finding the mysterious pod. Is there somebody else here now? Oh, Jesus. Nice, dude. Let's go. (laughs) Get out of my face. I'm running out of breath and also out of energy. I'm going to see you later. Bye.